Now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday. I mean, but <laughs> you, you may be listening to this on a Tuesday mm-hmm. or, or a Sunday Monday. or a Wednesday or a Wednesday. So happy day to you. <laughs> oh my God. I can't wait. It's been quite a day for me already. Has it? Unexpected things have happened today. And, uh, I had to just completely rearrange my day. And the good thing is that I'm flexible. <laughs> right? (laughs) I've learned how to be flexible. Well, you have a teenager. So, I mean, I think that kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? Flexible. It it has to be. Yeah. (laughs) Like I have to be that way. Otherwise it's doom. Forget it. Um, So yeah, here we are. I'm hanging out with my friend Tamar Medford. And I'm hanging out with my friend Lane Kennedy. And we're hanging out with you. And we have a special guest today, Karen McMahon. Yes. Karen, Karen, Uh, and you know, she uh, is the creator of Journey Beyond Divorce. You can find her information over at Journey Beyond Divorce. Uh, You know, we just wrapped up a a week around sex. We've talked about marriage. We talk about uh, parenting and how difficult it is. And so you kind of found us right on time, Karen, because Mm -hmm. this is a big topic. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of women are facing, you know, especially during the pandemic. I mean, Jesus, every, every other person I knew was like filing for divorce. Seriously. People who are still married. I'm like, you guys are you one in a million rock stars. Yeah, for real. So it's welcome true. to the show, Karen. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, like, I know you didn't just find yourself like focusing on divorce. How, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, because, I, I, this wasn't your first pick, right? Like, Oh, I'm, I, when I grow up, I'm going to help people <laughs> five years old. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually was, yeah, I've had many different careers and it was a very, I went through a very high conflict divorce. And, uh, when I sat my kids down, they were four. Wait a minute. Six. Wait, pause. See, I'm just going to interrupt you right there. So there's a term called high conflict. Yes. I like that. I just found out about parallel parenting. Yes. Like, there's a whole world out there that I know nothing about. So sorry for the interruption, but I feel like this is going to be so interesting. Okay. I'm muting my mic now. Thank you. <laughs> Yes. So um, parallel parenting is what those of us who come out of high conflict divorces tend to do. It's it's a kind of like high conflict co-parenting. And um, some people just, you know, everyone wants to say they're divorcing a narcissist. And so just a good description is if you're getting a divorce and you're dealing with um, a lot of uh arguing and fighting. And if you're facing a person who might never take ownership, who might uh, see everything as black and white, who might 
very often seem to be revising the history as you remember it, who um, who tends to deflect and you tend to defend a lot. These are all behaviors that those of us who've been in high conflict divorces find ourselves facing. And when you don't know um, what's going on, you just you tend to doubt yourself a lot because the other person seems a thousand percent certain that you're wrong and they're right. How do you, okay, since I've never gone through this, but I hear a lot of this inside of conversations that I have with many women over the last couple of years, and they come with this, what you just said, they're defending themselves all the time. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, why are you doing that? Here's the truth. This is what happened. And why aren't people seeing your side? Like, why do they have to defend themselves so much? And, and you, you also talked about, you know, narcissist. So there's being able to identify, oh, I'm divorcing a narcissist. I've become a people pleaser. There, there's so much wrapped up in this. So I'm going to let you, again, you unpack, you're the expert. Yeah. And all of those things that you're mentioning. And so I would caution people. I caution every client I speak to, try not to use the label narcissist. You're not a psychologist. You didn't do an evaluation and an assessment. We all have some narcissism. I have definitely divorced somebody higher on the spectrum in terms of his tendencies. It's not like narcissists will never go to a psychologist and go, I think it might be me. Could I do an assessment? Like that's never happening. So, so what, if you're, if you're, if you think you're divorcing someone who has a personality disorder, maybe narcissism, and you want your attorney and your judge and the attorney for the children and all these people to actually listen to you, don't put your junior psychologist cap on. Don't label your soon to be ex. Talk about the tendencies that you experience. People use gaslighting all the time. I'm like, okay, I know what gaslighting means. I'm like, don't tell me you've been gaslit. Tell me what happened. Like, stop using the labels. It actually diminishes your um, your standing rather than uh, making you look better. And so when you're going through a high conflict divorce, uh, when you're going through a garden variety divorce, let me start there. Uh, you've grown grown out of each other or there are significant differences and and there's going to be conflict but there's also going to be a certain amount of reasonableness you just talked about being flexible high conflict one party has zero flexibility in a garden variety everyone might a good garden variety divorce everyone walks away unhappy but everyone's gotten something fair it's like you know, there's no winner in this, but there's compromise and conversation and God willing, the children are always front and center. When you deal with some of these high conflict personalities, they'll leave the children, the bank account, the residential home and everything else on the playing field to win. And so you're just dealing with something completely different. And then society is telling us all if you're a good person, you're going to have an amicable divorce and an amicable amicable co-parenting experience. And so for the woman, often woman, I've coached men who are in narcissistic fam, um, marriages, but, but largely for the women, it's like you're set up to fail again. 
right? Because now you can't do the amicable divorce. So it must be your fault. And your high conflict ex is going to say it absolutely is your fault. And then to your point, most people who find themselves defending, when I say, what would you do if you didn't defend? And they're like, I have nothing. I have no idea what I would even say if I wasn't defending. I don't know how to not defend. And so it's this whole culture of years and years of, 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 of having a perspective that's not a healthy one and having a toxic relationship dripped into you that many of us have lost ourselves. And it's like, who am I? What is my voice? For me, I remember an event would happen and I would literally find myself thinking about what he would think and how he would react before I even tuned into what I was thinking and what my emotional reaction was. I was, to my therapist's description, a shell of my former self. I had, I was completely lost. And so many find themselves in that exact same situation. So I've been divorced. Um, <laughs> and I think I, I wouldn't call it, definitely wouldn't call it high conflict. I definitely had a high conflict separation recently, but I got married when I was still drinking. Um, I was an alcoholic and I actually you still are. Oh, I still am. Yeah. Uh, just a sober one. But right before I got sober, <laughs> yeah, I'm very, I, I think I'm very fortunate for this, but I realized after I quit drinking that I'm like, wait a minute, I don't love this man anymore. Right. And I, I, it was like over the time span of a couple months, I was like, who is this that I'm next to? And so it was very amicable. Um, you know, we were friends actually for about a year after and I'm, and we didn't have children. So there was, I mean, we had a dog, so he got the dog. It was, you know, I just kind of walked away from that. Um, but I was recently in a relationship that ended high conflict and the gaslighting, like you mentioned, uh, that was something that, you know, through counseling was brought to light and that's a terrible thing for people to go through. Like the gaslighting is the worst. Right. You start questioning your own sanity. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I don't understand it. So give me some examples, please, of, of what that might look like for our listeners as well. So Tamar, could you share, would you feel comfortable sharing? Cause you went to a therapist, so you're getting a mental health expert who's describing it. I think that that would be really valuable for your listeners before I chime in. Yeah, absolutely. So there were, um, basically my ex loved softball, like loved softball. It, be it became all consuming in our world, right? It was an everyday thing. And I started to get very resentful because I thought, okay, we're not spending quality time together. And so anytime I would say, hey, listen, I'd really like to spend the weekend together. Can we hang out? He would start to get angry and say, you're crazy. You're insane. You think like you don't like softball. And I said, no, 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 it's not that. It's the fact that I'm losing this quality time with you. And he would say, you're delusional, right? You're not thinking straight. You're the one that's great. And I'm like thinking, no, actually I'm not. You know, it was almost like throwing it in my face that how dare you be upset because I'm doing something I'm passionate about, right? So it was that, that manipulation trying to make me feel like I was the evil one 
And it happened throughout our counseling actually as well, right? With, well, I paid for that. So you should be happy for that, right? I did this for you. And 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 that hurt, right? Because it makes you start to think like, am I being unreasonable? Because I've been taught how to look at my part in everything. Right, sometimes exactly. There is no part. Like sometimes there's a, okay, you know what? No, I'm not crazy. I'm sharing my feelings and I'm allowed to do that. Right. And and that's the deflect and defend dance that so many of us find ourselves in. And so it's like I come to you to talk about topic A and you throw topic B at me. And I'm on now I'm defending myself to topic B. Topic A, my topic is off the agenda in the next room. And I came in to talk about something that was concerning me. And I'm sitting here defending myself. Yeah. And and so my clients say, well, well. He just attacked me. What else can I do? He just, and and if you stop for a moment and you look at what's happening, and for those of you listening who are healthy-minded, you're going to be like, yeah, of course. Um, but the, for those of us who got stuck in this, if you stop for a moment, it, it's literally as simple as saying to yourself, huh, my agenda just went out the window. And then saying to the other person, well, hold on a second. If you want to talk about your love of softball, we could do that. But what I just brought to you was my desire for quality time. So I'm asking if we can stay on that topic. And then they might just do it again. And then you say, you know what I just noticed? I just saw you do again. Now they could get angry and angrier we don't have control over that. But what I've just done is I've taught myself how to not to defend and not attack. Simply say what I'm noticing and come at it with curiosity and inquiry, which will typically irritate the heck out of the high conflict person, because now that locked in control that he or she had you've just slipped away from it. So now there's less control on their part and they're being called to task to talk about your agenda. And that's just not going to make them happy. Basically it comes back to mindfulness again, Tamar. It always does. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing, Karen. It just comes back to mindful communication and being on the playing field with your partner. And and for those in, you know, five to 45 year relationships with a high conflict person, uh, finding your way, and this is, we're actually about to launch a program in 2023 for people who want to leave their high conflict marriage, but they are frozen, paralyzed in fear because there's been decades of this chiseling away at who they are. And, you know, the other thing that happens is people say, well, it's, it's all my spouse's fault. No, no, predates your spouse, goes all the way back to that child, that, that family of origin stuff that we all have to look at. Uh, we've been predisposed. And the question becomes, well, what, what is it about your past that predisposed you to fall for an unhealthy or a toxic individual? And so, we always do have a part. My part, for me, my part was um, learning about my codependence, learning about my people pleasing, learning about my perfectionism and my self condemnation. And all of that was like tasty bait for the high conflict person personality. 
I'm, I'm perfect. I'm, I'm the perfect partner for them to be able to play out their part. And then for me to be the victim and try to control what I can't control and play out my part until to your point, Lane, um, I become conscious and intentional and mindful, and then I get to live a very different life. And Karen, I can relate to all the things you just listed because a lot there, most of them are on my list as well. But one of the other areas was financial security, right? I had watched my parents in the first like early years of my life, they did very well when my dad decided to follow his dreams financially things started to get tighter, right? And we could feel that because we started doing different things or not doing certain things. And so I think growing up, I took in that scarcity, right? That, oh, we got to be careful. We can't do this or we can't do that. And I believe, you know, for myself, I had stayed in this past relationship a lot because of that financial insecurity, even though at the time, I was still working corporate. I was making good money. It still lingered there, right? So it was still, that was my past coming back and keeping me in something that was very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we were just uh, putting word out to those who um, are stuck in these relationships because of golden handcuffs. And so you take everything I just said, and then you put it in a paradigm of wealth significant wealth or uber wealth. And that those people are all the more um, frozen and stuck and, and the outside world. And I, I, I uh, used to attend Al-Anon. So we would talk about, you know, what actually happens behind those beautiful doors. And it's like a living hell. So the rest of the world is like, oh my God, look at the car you drive, the neighborhood you live in, that gorgeous home of yours, your beautiful designer clothing. You close that door and what's happening behind that door is just utter and total misery. So what? how does she get out of it? Right? Like what is the first step for her? Like she realizes, let's just, you know, paint this picture a little bit. You know, she realizes five years into the marriage, this is not for her. And she has everything. She has everything, right? So what are her first steps that she's going to take to start moving in the direction of a new life for herself? Yeah, it's such a great question. And that that's exactly what um, what we address one on one when someone starts speaking to us. It's there is a we all have a story. Right. So there's there's the story between our ears. And now if she's been in that relationship, the story has her being incapable, um, unworthy, um, uh, you know, she's going to fail. So there's there's this whole whole narrative that she's almost climbing a Mount Everest. And so preferably with one-on-one coaching and in a really short period of time, when you have someone acting like a non-judgmental sounding board and poking, and so uh, a client will say something and I'll just get real quiet. And then I'll say, so what I heard you say was, how true is that? And it doesn't take very long before um, they begin to we we begin to poke holes in in that narrative and the self doubt. Uh, it's like you're talking to a healthy person now, so you're 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 getting a yet a different narrative because what I heard 
And, and when they, they tell a little bit more about their story, about how they grew up, or a lot of us are rock stars out in the professional world and then in these toxic relationships behind closed doors. And so the first thing is to really start looking at your stories, what you're, what, what maybe he's been telling you, what you're telling yourself, and write them down. That would be a great exercise is write down, what are you afraid of? What's your greatest fear in leaving? write them all down, put them in priority order, and then start poking at them and decide what are the top three that I actually believe are totally real. And then if you can even go to your therapist or a divorce coach with that and start having a conversation, you're going to see that begin to diminish. And then with coaching, as you guys know, there's a baby step. And the baby step is what's the conversation you feel safe having? And it might be around what if you notice every time you find yourself in on the dance floor in the deflect and defend dance, and even once you don't defend and you stand there and you point out what you notice is happening. Now, your bones might be shaking, your stomach might be in a knot, but I guarantee you, you're going to wake up the next day and the sky didn't fall and the earth didn't open you up and you're still alive. And that actually is a baby step forward. And when you start doing these little practices on a regular basis, um, a, a very different reality and world begins to open up. And that's the key is to get when when I first started my divorce and I had been in therapy, I remember the very first thing I did was I I was I would I had my own job. So I was like, I opened up a separate bank account. We had ridiculous financial problems. Um, and I I went into my then husband and said, I um I opened up my own bank account and I'm gonna start depositing my paycheck in that. My bones felt like they were shaking, scared to death. The second thing I did was I said that I was going to get my own car insurance. Same thing. And so these, what did not seem like baby steps at all to me, whatever your baby steps are, when you start doing them and doing them regularly, um, it's like the emperor has no clothing. Pretty soon you start realizing, wow, um, there's a whole nother reality out there that would serve me better to be able to plug into and move toward. So um, basically in terms of coaching, divorce coaching, now Lane wrote an amazing article about sober coaching, which we also had a show about. Um, why would somebody want to, you know, just like in 12 step recovery, you have your sponsor or a sober companion yes, or you hire a sober coach. So why, when it comes to divorce, would someone choose a so, uh, divorce coach as opposed to, say, a counselor or getting therapy like that? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. And I will say oftentimes we work with people who do a hybrid of both. So someone who's been seeing a therapist on a regular basis, let's say weekly, and then they're listening to our Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, they're hearing something, so they sign up, they get the free call. And, and they typically experience something dramatically different than their rock star therapist, because we swim in the world of divorce. We understand the practical and logistical side of it. And while a therapist could be fabulous and everything emotional, we understand the, the specifics of the challenges that you're facing in each stage and depending on the type of marriage that you're leaving, because this is what we do all of the time. And so 
our ability to ask questions and unearth uh, what's going on, what clients typically say is what we just did in one hour uh, is more progress than I've made in the last couple of months of therapy. And it's not because the therapist isn't good. It's because of the fine-tuned questions and the the plate and our awareness of what's going on. Does that make sense? Oh, totally makes sense. And I would say that, you know, just like what we do with women, you know, we can help somebody become sober, but there's that also that forward thinking, like what's next, right? Which is why we call this the now what society is, because it's not enough just to always focus on the past. And a lot of people do that and they get stuck there. It's, you know, I think with the coaching, it helps you look forward and creating hope and vision and clarity. Right. And your therapist is really looking at the past and helping you figure out and connect the dots and the psychological understanding. And we're saying we want to get you from where you are to where you want to go. Well, I Um, also think there's something about um, it's it's like I think there's some co-signing when you're in therapy. I just, I think sometimes a therapist just kind of rides it out like, oh, let's go back to when you were five. That's really great to go back when you were five and look at your parents and they got divorced and okay, let's fast forward to when you're 25 and you get your first divorce, right? Like I think therapy serves a purpose and a point. My feeling has always been like, get in, work it and get out Get out, yes, and go to, go to a specific coach or mm-hmm. specialist, right. To get into your life and move forward. I think there's something very practical about getting specific coaching or a specialist and expert that deals with exactly this sober coaching or divorce, or we get a personal trainer because we want to work on our abs, right? right. People like have these ideas of like, oh, I don't need it. I can just do sit-ups. Well, you're not going to get a six pack. I guarantee you, if you're just doing sit-ups, you get a personal trainer and work out for six weeks, you're getting a six pack. Right. right. So it's, I think yeah. when, when it comes to like going specialized, I'm all for it completely, Karen. Uh, like I said, I don't really know anything about divorce. I just know a lot of women are going through it. A lot of women are feeling stuck. Yep. A lot of them are in that situation at the golden handcuffs. A lot of them are in that place of what am I going to do? You know, so this idea of having somebody like yourself ask the right question, right? Like, like it's like, and, and really, and I think the other pieces really challenge them. Um, so at the, at the end of my coaching sessions or, or each segment of the session, it's like, now what are you going to do about it? So we just talked about that. We just unearthed it before we move on. What's the step that you're now going to take, or we're going to talk about you taking that before you got on the phone wasn't even on your radar. And, and I think that's what makes it so beautiful, that catapulting forward. And whether you're in a 12-step program, or you're in therapy, there isn't that accountability, that action plan, that, that proactive, <laughs> beautiful movement forward. That is it. It's about accountability. It's about living your best life. I was just talking to somebody the other day about, oh yeah, I, I really want to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, well, this is your next step. Oh no, no, no. What? Like, mm-hmm. really? 
really like you want to just stay in this muck oh well I you're asking me to be accountable no I don't think I can <laughs> I just I'm like what are you talking about it's kind of yeah, and, crazy and that's that's the game changer the game yeah. changer and how often I mean I, I'm sure you get it too I'll, I'll get someone will be on the phone and they'll be like I knew I was talking to you. I went back to my notes. I mm-hmm. did my plan because I knew that in a couple of days, I'm going to be on the phone. And even if doing the plan was better for their life, it might just be talking to me and saying they didn't wasn't an option for them. And that accountability is just, it's just key. Yeah. yeah there's something about paying money to somebody. Yes. And saying, I'm going to do this by, I have 30 days to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, Karen's waiting for me. I know I have to turn it in that like, yeah, yeah, so good. So you talk a lot about, okay, there's the pre, oh my God, I'm recognizing I'm going to go through a divorce, a divorce, but then there's also this journey beyond. Yes. So what, what does that mean? Like, okay, I'm done now. Now what? Yeah. And so, so I like to look at it in three segments. You have your should I stay or should I go or should I mend or should I end? Um, the hugest, most difficult decision. Um, and then you step into it and then you have, depending on the state you're in, mine, high conflict, three and a half years. I'm working with a woman who's on five years. Wait a minute, three and a half years you were doing that? Three and a half years. And we had no money. There was no, there was no, the only thing we could have fought over was debt. So it was three and a half years of an, an, a very OCD individual who needed 50-50 custody down to the sleeping minute. Um, and he wasn't ready. And one of the things, and I'll say this to your entire audience, one of the most valuable things an attorney told me is your divorce will only move as fast as the slowest moving person. So my ex-husband stood before the judge and said, she says, whatever it was, whatever the statement is when I haven't had sex, he hasn't had sex with me in a year. And he stood up before the judge and he goes, the only reason I haven't had sex with her is she won't let me. She has to come home and stay married to me. It doesn't meet the criteria. Exactly. What? I don't understand. What? What? And that's when New York State, you needed to show cause. Oh. And um, and rather than say something that would harm him publicly, mm. yeah. um, I chose this thing, which I thought was safe. And the point being, mm. he was so unready for divorce that he could stand up before the judge and explain to the judge why the judge had to tell me to go home and be married. Wow. So three and a half years was really about my soon to be ex coming to terms with the fact that no matter how he tried to bully me or the courts, I actually had a right to get divorced. And so with two little children, it was a very long and arduous journey. And on the other hand, uh, while I would describe it as a living hell, I would also describe it as my greatest gift. It is. It was my um, catalyst for becoming conscious and intentional and beginning to live a life that I never knew existed. I love that. And I feel the same way about my drinking career, right? I once looked at it as a negative thing. And for years, actually, I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't share it with everybody. 
And when somebody actually said, listen, you know, your experience matters, what you've been through could help somebody else. We need to talk about this. That's when my life just started to change like profoundly. And Mm -hmm. I would never look back anymore. And I, I share that with, you know, the women that, that we work with, that it's like, your experience is actually a gift, right? It just takes coming out of that, of course, to see it and start working with other people. One of the, uh, I I do series on my podcast and one of the series is called Voices of Celebration. And we're not celebrating divorce. We're never celebrating divorce. Divorce is just heartbreaking. We're celebrating the transformation that these individuals make through the arduous journey. And, and, Every single time I ask a a former client if they would come on and tell their story, like they all begin the same way. I never, ever thought I would be sitting here with a smile on my face, telling a story of, of, of overcoming, of living my best life, of my divorce being a good thing. Like I never would have believed that. And yet there they are saying, that that was the journey that led me to who I was meant to be and the life I was meant to live. And, you know, for those of us who get to come alongside those individuals, you guys with sobriety, me with divorce, it's like pinch me. I, I, I am so honored. I am, I feel so gifted to be able to take a hellacious, painful time in my life and, and help so many as a result. Yeah, I I'm just sitting here in silence because it it just so it resonated with me, right? Being able to watch somebody as the light goes on and they realize, "Hey, my life isn't over. It's actually just begun." Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Divorce is yeah. an unknown land for me. Uh who who knows what the future holds, <laughs> but <laughs> I know I I've just watched, you know, so many women walk through it and struggle. And, uh, I'm always pro go get help, right? Just, I'm the first one to say, go get help. And I'm so glad that we know who you are, Karen, and how, you know, hearing about how you work with women, uh, because let's face it, we're in a struggle right now. And there are so many women, you know, facing this question, do I stay or do I leave? What did you say? Mend or end that, that, that middle one right? The mend or the end, the turn, like there's the first stage. What was the first stage? The first stage is, should I stay or go? Should I mend or end? Should I stay or should I go? Then it's mend or end. And then it's, and then, and then you're in the thick of it. Then you're in the midst of it. And that's, that's where there's a lot of negotiation going on. And that's where our goal is to get you calm, clear, and confident. Mm-hmm. And if we can support you in standing on that solid ground, you can partner with your attorney, you yeah. can be effective, you could be productive, and you can create the best possible settlement. And part of it is not being delusionary. Um, the thing that that really trips people up in the high conflict is, I can't believe he's still acting that way. And it's like, well, that's why you're getting divorced. You're not going to change him now. And so that that piece of getting calm, clear, and confident and standing in what's real as opposed to what you want it to be 
really allows you to negotiate a good settlement. And then that post-divorce piece. And the biggest part, if you don't have children, you go your own way. Um, if it's an amicable divorce, you might be friends the rest of your life. But if it's high conflict, you go your own way. And to our very first um, part of the conversation, do you co-parent or do you parallel parent? I think one of the most heartbreaking things is when I meet somebody who's 5, 10, 15 years post-divorce, but except for that piece of paper, nothing's changed. They still call their ex to tell them what they should do. They still get aggravated by their ex. They're still in the exact same emotional, dysfunctional dance because they, my client, hasn't awoken to the fact that if you can accept that he or she is who they are and that that it's not your job to change them, you don't cross the street and clean up their side of the street, that's not your business. Um, if you could if you could trust um, that any issue you're having with your children, you're better off talking to your children and pouring into them than trying to change your ex. And that's where, um, the co-parenting versus parallel parenting struggle comes in. Parallel parenting doesn't have to be a struggle if you're standing in acceptance and not trying to control the uncontrollable. I'm ready tomorrow. Are you? <laughs> I was like, are you? Are you uh, mm. <laughs> uh, co-parenting, parallel parenting. Uh, I was recently talking to somebody who high, high, high conflict, high conflict family. The whole family is in conflict. And even, even the parallel parenting is a struggle. And, uh, I think I'm going to pass your number on to her for that extra support. It's just, we women need all the support that we can get. That's all I'm saying here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I think we need more support in all areas of our lives and why not get it? Why not? I agree for it. I'm all for it. Uh, listeners are going to find you Karen at journey beyond Yep. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right there. And there's a podcast that you can tune into and hear the hope. That's what I heard today. You shared a lot of hope. Uh, there's something on the other side of this. You know, and, and it's like, there's a mystery, there's a mystery package <laughs> and it's waiting to be opened. <laughs> Go ahead and open it. <laughs> it's funny. We, we, we end our 12, we have a 12 step, um, divorce recovery program, not, not aligned, um, but I come from 12 steps. So, so if, if what we did was we figured out what were the key issues um, that most clients face. And we came up with our 12 step divorce recovery and live life as an adventure is step 12. So you're saying like, open the gift in the package. And it's like, when, when we can get to the point where it's like, life is a roller coaster, I'm buckling up. I know it's, there are going to be ups and downs and I'm willing to see what comes my way and use all of my tools to navigate it and throw my hands up and go woohoo whenever I can. Yeah. Um, that's the place we want to get you to because there's going to be monkey wrenches. There's going to be ups and downs. And if you do this work and you're clear headed and you're standing in your confidence um, and you're being intentional, 
life can have uh, have a beautiful hue to it. You know, Karen, I was just thinking, what's the divorce rate now? And, and just do just do U.S. If you know that, do you know that stat? It's about fifty for first marriages, sixty for second marriages, seventy mm. percent for third marriages. Holy Jesus! So our goal yeah. is we may not be able to change the first marriage divorce rate, but if we could work with enough people who stop yeah. thinking you're divorcing the problem and then they go out and meet the same man or woman in a different body and rinse and repeat, if yeah. we could do good work, we could lower that second and third divorce rate so that. Yeah. You get it right the second time. Yeah. It's all about like doing your inside work, doing your inside work. You know, I was thinking, you know, if we did not have alcohol in our world, just, okay. Just eliminate all the alcohol. Think about how many less marriages or less babies we might have, right? Like first dates always happen with a bottle, right? Mm -hmm. People fall in love over a bottle of wine and cocktails. Yeah. Tamar's raising her hand. That's how my Uh, first marriage happened. Yeah. I just, you know, I just wonder how the world would look if we eliminated alcohol from our world. What, what, you know, how, how would we find each other? Right. How would we have sex for the first time? Mm -hmm. How would we like be cordial and like flirt? How would we go to the movie? You know, like all that stuff. I had to be drinking for all of that. Mm -hmm. I just food for thought, my friends. I think that to your point, you know, very similar, right? Whether you're coming coming out of your um, alcoholic uh, uh, behaviors or you're coming out of one of these divorces, there's this there's this sense of who is my authentic self? Why am I so afraid to be it? And what would happen if I just step into every day being my unique authentic self and then then you don't need the alcohol and you know you don't need other crutches and and then you actually get to experience the um deliciousness that life has for you it's so juicy delicious (laughs) it is karen thanks for hanging out with us this was great thanks for having me tomorrow it's always fantastic yeah it is fun times Thanks everybody for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check out uh, Karen's work and check out the show notes. We have a lot of them over there at the nowwhatsociety.com forward slash podcast. Uh, If you have not joined the Now What Society, it is time. Anything else tomorrow? Let's wrap it up with a bow. Till next time. That was heavy. Divorce is heavy. Divorce is heavy. Yeah, there's the thinking about getting divorced. I think that was the first when you actually for the first time go, I wonder if I need to get a divorce. Like that, the thought is like, Ugh. yeah, and kids involved, yeah. high conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't even wrap my head around that. I'm just not there. It's just mm-hmm. not my world. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, it could be, but not today. Mm-hmm. Oh, my dear Lord. I love Karen. Right. I love her. I love that, you know, she's really doing in the divorce space what Mm -hmm. we're doing in the sober space. Right. Mm -hmm. And and helping women find their now what I mean, that's what it's all about. It's it's moving forward and, you know, bringing that light. Yeah. We need more light. We need more light. Oh, my God. 
So I'm super stoked on this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. If you have a question around divorce or you have something that you're struggling with, please reach out to that, reach out to us over at the now what society.com forward slash contact. Yeah. Right? Yep. You can yep. like send us a message. And if you have a question, we have that oh, big yeah. ask us button. Mm-hmm. Feel free to share something you want us to discuss, right? Because we yeah. do, we're very fortunate to be connected with a lot of experts in different mm-hmm. fields. And so we can either, if we don't know the answer, we haven't been through it, which chances are one of us has, we can chances always are. find an expert we can bring on the show for you. That'd be great. Tamar, thanks for hanging out. It was a pleasure, Lane. So much fun. We'll see you next time. Bye.